Gracious Father, as we enter into the season of Epiphany today, a season where your Son reveals himself, will you help us to know him better, to learn more about him, that our lives and our decisions and our relationships might reflect him in ever greater ways. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So this is the beginning of the season of Epiphany. It is that season that sits between Christmas and Lent. Uh, a season that doesn't often get nearly the amount of tension, uh, attention, sorry, <laughs> um, and, and in some ways rightly so. Um, Lent is really a huge highlight season within our faith and within the rhythm of our spirituality. But Epiphany is a significant day that begins with that reading, the baptism of Jesus. Um, sometimes it looks back, and it may begin with the coming of the Magi, because they are Gentiles who recognize him as something more than just a child. Um, and that's what this whole season is about. It's about the manifestation of Jesus in all that he is, Messiah, Son of God, Chosen One, the one in whom the Father is pleased and whom the Father loves. And it's a season for us to really dig in and get to know him better. And that's what I hope to do over these weeks as we move toward the season of Lent. So if you leave my house and you are heading down State Street toward 74, we're by the Arconic facility. On the right side, there is a tall sign that reads, um, I, I just forgot the name of it, In This Issue Comics. In This Issue Comics, it's a comic book store. And that sign is lit up. However, if you were to go where that sign is today and go to where that building is, you would find something that you wouldn't expect to find. It's empty. There's nothing in that building. Even though the sign is still there, and as of last week, the sign would actually still light up at night. There's nothing in the building. It would be an unexpected thing for you. Today, I want to talk about the unexpected. I would imagine if you thought about your life, you've had numerous occasions to run across or experience something unexpected. You were thinking one thing, something else happened. Um, and you can probably recall a number of those things. That is what happens to John the Baptist as he encounters Jesus. Something very unexpected happens. Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. If you're using the, the Pew Bible, you will find that on page 1376. 1376. I'm going to walk through a little of this background to get a better idea of John's experience. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee 
to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Galilee is north. Jesus ended up being raised in Nazareth, which is a small village. And at some point, somewhere around the age of 30, he makes this journey where he walks from Galilee, from Nazareth, he walks down to some spot in the Jordan. And if you go over to Israel today, there is a spot that they will take pilgrims that is thought to be the place where John baptized him. So he makes this journey, and as he gets there, this is what happens. John tried to deter him. Now, John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. Maybe not the fullness. He probably doesn't have nearly the theological understanding of somebody today that has spent their life studying all the theology we have, all the church fathers, everything else. But he does know this is a really special person whom I'm the forerunner for. He very likely heard stories from his own mother and probably from Mary. They are family. He knows his whole life was moving toward this point. In fact, here are things he knows specifically. Back up in the text to verse 11. Here's John's proclamation. I baptize you with water for repentance. Now, that part is important and we'll come back as we talk about what happens with John. John has a role. He is calling the Israelites out to the Jordan, calling them to leave the city, come into the wilderness, a place where God often works throughout the scriptures. To be baptized specifically for repentance, for turning. Here's what John is doing. He's preparing them to receive God's chosen one. Come out here, turn your life around, make a, a very symbolic, physical manifestation you're turning your life around. But then look what he says about Jesus. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. John comes from a miraculous birth. He is the one prophesied in Malachi that would turn the people back, prophesied in Isaiah about being the forerunner. Um, This is a huge guy. And yet, he says of Jesus, he's more powerful than I am. I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. Like to even be a slave to him, a servant to him. That's how far above me he is. And he goes on. He will baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, I'm baptizing you with liquid. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit of God. I mean, he has got a really good idea that the one coming after him is hugely powerful, hugely significant, the one everyone's been waiting for. John understands Jesus is special like nobody else. And yet... Look what happens. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? I want to show you the dissonance in the faith of John the Baptist. Dissonance. When two things are supposed to be harmonious, or when they resolve, in music, 
You would think of a chord is supposed to sound one way, but you change a note within that chord and they become dissonant. One of the most famous examples of dissonance is the theme song to Jaws. Everybody knows it, but the reason the song works and builds the tension is because of the dissonance in the music. But we also have dissonance when two things don't match up. There's a sense of dissonance when I'm driving down the street and I look up and I see this sign and I go, oh, I'm going to go to this comic book store. And yet I show up and it's, there's nothing there at all. Dissonance. There is dissonance in the faith of John the Baptist. Right? Think about what happens. He is one more powerful than I. I can't even carry his sandals. I'm not worthy of that. He is the chosen one. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He just told me to do something, and I told him no. Do you see the dissonance? Now, let me ask you. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask for some participation. Would you raise your hand if you believe in Jesus? Okay, put it down. Would you raise your hand if you call him Savior. Okay, put him down. Would you raise your hand if you always obey him? Dissonance. I mean, now, it's kind of understandable. John is taken aback. John was not expecting this. Here comes Jesus, the one everyone's been waiting for. What's John doing? He is baptizing people for repentance. Why in the world would someone so far above me, who, by the way, doesn't need to repent of anything, ever come to be baptized by me? We get that part. But do we also see how dissonant that is with his actual belief of who this is? If you believe this guy is who he says he is, and he tells you to do something, what should you do? What he tells you to do? (laughs) What is the dissonance in our faith? Because we all have it. We just saw it when no hand went up. We know it's there. I would argue that primarily our biggest dissonance is this right here. And I want you to think about this in your own faith. That we all view him as special. We all see him as the chosen one. We see him as the one that God sent. And yet, many lives of Christians are defined by nothing more than touch points with Jesus. A Sunday morning where you come to church, uh, a hard time in your life where you really ask for some help, a a moment here or there, but not this. Whenever I make decisions, I'm touching base with Jesus first. I want to know, what does he want from me? What do I know about him? What decision would he make in this case? When I think about my relationships and how I treat people, do I think about the ways Jesus would do this? Consciously, intentionally, on a regular basis. When I think about my finances, when I think about my politics, when I think about all the spheres of my life, is there a regular connection with who he is? Because if I'm saying he's that special, should he not be directing more of our lives more often? Absolutely. There's a dissonance in our faith. 
So kids teach us a lot as parents. Um, quite often, they teach us things about ourselves. My daughter had a little season where she decided to take soup or pasta to school with her. And she would put it in a Tupperware container and take it to school. And on multiple occasions, I discovered that Tupperware container many, many days, sometimes even weeks after it was used. Now, you all know how sealed tight a Tupperware container can get. They were so bad at points that when you would take the top off, it's like there was a poof that came with it and filled the house with a scent you just wanted to run from. I swear there was one point where there was so much green on the inside of one of these containers that when I reached for it, it moved. It just took off walking along the counter. It was bad. And I had to have a real heart-to-heart -heart with my daughter. And I remember one of those really heart-to-hearts with her when she went upstairs and she was upset because dad really got on to her and everything else. And I had to go get something out of my backpack. And I couldn't find it, so I opened up a pouch I don't normally use. And inside that pouch was a thing of Tupperware filled with chicken and vegetables that no longer looked like chicken and vegetables. <laughs> Dissonance. Sweetheart, you've got to learn to clean your Tupperware. You've got to get this right. Dad, maybe you should get this right too. Um, we all have it. We all see it. We all know it's in our lives. I don't want you to feel bad and guilty about it. I want you to recognize it. Because here's what happens with John. And this should be very encouraging to us. Um, Jesus replies, verse 15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. This is what I want to point out to you. In Greek, when Jesus says, let it be so now, it is the Greek word permit. It's a single word, and it says permit it now. That response here, then John consented, is the same Greek word. Then John permitted. This is why I pointed out to you. John may have had a moment of dissonance in his faith where he actually tries to tell the Son of God, no, that's a bad idea, Jesus. And instead, he has obedience, direct obedience. Jesus says, permit this, John permits it. Does exactly what he's told to do. Here's my encouragement for you. It doesn't matter what the dissonance is. It matters how you respond when you see it. It matters how you respond when you take the time to look at your life and go, I am not connecting with Christ nearly enough. I'm not seeking him on a regular basis like I want to be. Okay, let's change it. That's what he's looking for. Not a pointed finger of how bad you are, but a moment to go, I'm going to change this. I'm going to make it different. And you know what? Down the road, when you see it again, the same thing applies. Now I'm going to change it and make it different. I read a great article on New Year's resolutions where the lady argued for this. Resolve to make resolutions. Don't just make a single resolution and put all your eggs in that basket because all you do is fail. And she cited a study 
that showed the relief that people had when they understood, you know what, I'm going to resolve to do this. Well, I failed it. I'm going to resolve to do this. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up, nor am I going to put all my weight onto one thing. I know I have more chances. You always have more chances with Christ. Use them to keep going. The unexpected for John was that Jesus wanted him to baptize the Son of God, and there was dissonance in that. There is also an unexpected thing in the response of Jesus, and this is the thing I want us to see about him. Look back at his response again. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to tell you that particular explanation from Jesus has been debated for centuries. What does he exactly mean by that? And there are possibilities out there. Scholars argue for a number of ways of understanding what Jesus meant by this. I'm going to go with one of them that I think really fits the character that we see of Jesus throughout the Gospels and which makes so much sense in this passage. This is what I think Jesus means. It is proper for me to identify fully with those I have come to save because that will fulfill all righteousness. Let me explain that. When you think about righteousness, a lot of people, and I think rightly so, they think about moral living, right actions, doing things in line with the will of God. You might think of this, God is righteous. We want to be righteous. We want to be aligned fully with him, doing right things. I think righteousness for Jesus is bigger than that. It is not just doing right things. It's doing them in the right way. For Jesus, righteousness involves identifying with the very people you are trying to work with. The very people you're trying to save. Think about this. The death and resurrection of Jesus would have been efficacious even if he had not identified with them. He was sinless. He gave his life so that we didn't have to. Because he's sinless, he could be sacrificed on our behalf. He didn't have to identify in this way. Nor, by the way, did he have to sit and have a conversation with a woman by a well for all that time. Nor, when a woman who had already been forgiven came in and interrupted a dinner that he was at, and embarrassed the crud out of him by crying all over his feet? Did he have to sit with her and then defend her against the Pharisees? Nor when Peter denied him three times publicly after saying, I will never do that, did Jesus have to seek Peter out and give him three opportunities to heal, to find redemption? Righteousness is not just doing the right thing. It's not just tossing money at somebody. It is how we identify with others. It's not just correcting somebody's theology. It's trying to understand that person and showing grace and mercy and love when you do it. 
It's not just helping a neighbor. It's spending that time. It's recognizing their needs. There's a moment where four friends bring their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. And they break the roof open. They drop him down. And the first thing Jesus says is, you're forgiven. Why? Because the need the friends thought this guy had was physical healing. Jesus looked at him and knew the greatest need was spiritual healing. It's seeing in people what they really need. It's taking the time to hear and to listen and to understand so that you can minister and love people well. That is all part of righteousness. When I was younger, I went to a Metallica concert. Um, Anybody been to a Metallica concert? Do some raised hands. Only Joe? So the two pastors are the only one who have been to a Metallica concert? Oh my goodness. What's wrong with this church? So I went to this Metallica concert when I was younger. And I'm in line, and it's wrapping around the building. And on the other side of the street, there is a large group of Christians. And they have a bullhorn. And they are shouting at us that we're all going to hell because we're going to this concert. And won't we repent and give our lives to Jesus? Now, I want to show you the difference between the way I think people define righteousness often and the way I think Jesus defines it. What they were saying might, for many people in that line, be true. There were a bunch of non-believers in that line. The way they were doing it would never have been done by Jesus. Jesus would have been in line with us for the Metallica concert. He would have had his ticket, and he would have been getting to know the people around him and loving them. And I know that because when he met sinners, what did he do? He threw a party for them and joined them. And he had somebody with a bullhorn outside going, why is your master in there with sinners? Because righteousness is not just us standing above other people. It's not just us pointing out all of the faults. It's not just us even getting the right action. It's the way we do it. And it's how we love people. And it's how we get to know people. And it's the, the grace and the empathy and all the things we see in Jesus. That's who he is. If you're going to follow him, that's who you're following. That's what we're called to be like. Keep going with me. Here's my last thing here. Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Um, Jesus lives our life while he is on earth. He doesn't get a special, like, power-up. He is fully human. And he goes through the same things you and I go through. The temptations, the struggles... And it is the Holy Spirit in him that empowers him to live the life the Father calls him to, even as the Holy Spirit empowers us. Keep going. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Jesus makes a pronouncement to John the Baptist about what it means to fulfill all righteousness, identifying with the very people you are trying to help. And guess who confirms that that is the right way? The Father in heaven, who immediately says, that's my son, and I am pleased with him. 
that's what I want to hear from God the Father. That's my son, and I'm pleased with him. How do I get that? I live like my Savior. Susie was very close with her grandfather when she was growing up. So close that her mother used to say that she was her grandfather's shadow. When her grandfather got old enough that they knew the time was coming for him to pass, she was waiting for it. But when she got the phone call, it was still very unexpected. It's not what she wanted to hear, and she just went numb. Unfortunately, she was also standing in a grocery store, and she had her basket, and she was getting ready to get in line. And she just stood there. An older couple who was standing close enough to know something had happened came up to her, helped her into the line, bought her groceries for her, and then she went on her way. Now, that is a beautiful moment, but it is not actually how the story went. Here's how the story really went. That couple came up to her, helped her over to sit at a place, and sat with her. She was so distraught, she, could, she fumbled with her phone at one point trying to do something, and she said, I'm trying to get a hold of my sister. And this older couple took the phone, found her sister's number, dialed, hit the, well, didn't dial, just hit the thing, gave it to her so she could make the call. Then helped her to the, through the line, paid for all of her groceries, helped her out to her car. A week later, because when they had called the, called the sister and saw the phone number, they called the sister got the address, and sent her flowers. That is righteousness. It would have been great if they just paid for the groceries. Who wouldn't have wanted that? Who didn't think when I said that that was really sweet of them? But what did she need? Far more than that. And this old couple took their time and their energy to sit with her to then take her through, to make sure she got to her car, to make that phone call for her, and then later on to send her flowers. That's what we're called to. That's righteousness, whatever that might look like in your life. The comic book store reopened. It didn't close because of COVID or anything like that. They actually just got a better space. It's actually right down the street, which makes it ironic because the sign for the closed building is bigger than the sign for the new building. <laughs> um, I think that'll change eventually, but so as you drive driving around, there's the new one, and they had their grand opening, and I saw pictures from their grand opening, and I saw the unexpected. All right, let me give you my stereotypes. This is a comic book store. I expected to see pictures of teenage to early 20 white nerds, all men. That's what I expected to see because it's a comic book store. There were pictures of this young family with their two little girls. There was a picture of like an older couple, probably late 60s to early 70s at the comic book store. Um, just all these pictures like so unexpected. There's so much unexpected in our life, even the way God works. We need to be open to it, learn from it, and grow through it. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word and for your son. He was such a beautiful person who teaches us so much about loving people, about being there for people. Lord, help us to know him better, that we might mimic him, that our lives might be more like his life, that we would bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.